Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher. And today we're going to talk about developing skills and adapting to our surroundings. Our guest has spent his lifetime using adventure and the outdoors as his backdrop for skill development, whether that means learning how to connect with other people, how to connect with himself, or how to test his limits and find out how to handle precarious situations. Ryan Prentice from Asheville, North Carolina is with us today. His Instagram handle is go forth and adventure. And he describes himself as an arborist, a coffee enthusiast, a bike fanatic, and a constant student of life. Among his many adventures that have tested him in 2018, Ryan sent out on a bike tour from San Francisco, California to Peru. Ryan is living the adventure life. He not only has a passion for experiencing adventure himself, but he's also served as an outdoor guide and educator for others. There's much we can learn from his enthusiasm for the school of the outdoors. And today Ryan is here to share with us some of what happened on his bike tour to Peru and how he learned to adapt to the unexpected. Ryan, welcome to the campfire. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. I'm so excited. You're uh, you and I met at a training course for, uh, for wilderness skills. And I just was immediately uh, drawn to your just infectious personality and like clear enthusiasm for the wild. And uh, we were sitting over lunch one day and I heard you talking about this bike ride to Peru. And I was immediately like, man, I have got to hear about this. For context of listeners, can we just start with like, could you just share sort of an overview of this particular adventure that you took? What was the route? What was the timing? Big picture overview started September 2018 in San Francisco. We rode down Highway 1, 101, California coast, went down Baja, Mexico, went over to mainland Mexico, went through, now I'm going to have to really jog the geography (laughs) part of my brain, went through Mexico and then Guatemala. And then uh, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, uh, went to Costa Rica, went to Panama, took a sailboat around the uh, Darien Gap, past the San Blas Islands, went to Colombia, went through Ecuador, ended in, uh, in Peru, and ultimately ended up spending a month in Cusco, uh, relaxing and emotionally recovering from being on the road for six months. Yeah, I guess so. So there you go. So six months. So you started in September of 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. you're on, and you're on a bike for six months and who was with you, man? Well, it started out with two buddies from Asheville, one of whom ran the bicycle thrift shop. Uh, he and I had raced some alley cats together and then another of the guys, he and I had done two week plus tours and then many overnights, lots of bike rides, lots of alley cat races. So yeah, knew those two really well. And those were like the in- intended uh, members of the, of the adventure. Yeah, we started, started together in San Francisco. And then first night out, we met a couple from Bristol. Uh, in the UK, uh, they were riding a tandem. They had already ridden it all the way across Canada to the West Coast and come down. And we just happened to meet up with them. And we were all going to this DIY punk bike event in LA called Bike Bike. Uh, nice. And so we just hung with them all the way to Bike Bike in LA. Then kind of stuck with them all the way down Baja. We didn't ride together every day we just would end up in the same places pretty often and very much intentionally we picked up another another guy that we met a bunch of people 
at bike bike and they were like oh we were riding with this other guy you should meet up with him he ultimately became my roommate several years ago uh after the tour and and all kinds of nice people yeah so again just to kind of paint the picture for this trip so you're riding a bike how many how many miles did you cover never fully done the math uh a rough number would be about seven thousand 7,000 miles on a bike and talk to me about like evenings, like accommodations. Where are you sleeping? Where are you staying? Yeah, man. Each country was so different. Like even Baja to mainland Mexico, because Baja, you just slept out. It's the desert. It never rains. Like, and it's pretty sparsely populated. So you can just like stop and go into the desert and go to sleep there, you know? And one night we were out there and had a, a tarantula walk right through our little cluster of headlamps. <laughs> I'd never seen a tarantula out oh, in the wild. And that was pretty, pretty fun. But yeah, so like that was Baja was like, we stayed behind a beer store, you know, like people had to stay in their yard. Cause we asked like, Hey, where can we stay? Like, Oh, come stay with us. We'll make breakfast. You know? So everywhere in Baja was really chill. Mainland Mexico, we camped a couple times, but that that sort of changed after getting robbed. And then after that incident, we kind of stayed in a lot of hostels. We stayed in, man, fire stations. The firefighters will let you stay for free in fire stations in like a bunch of these countries. And so Amazing. like, we just like show up and like, Hey, uh, can we stay? And, <laughs> you know, trying to say that in Spanish. So we'd stay in fire stations. I mean, a bunch of people put us up, you know, in various places, a lot of the countries. And when I was ultimately riding by myself in South America, I was staying in these, basically like motor hotels but a lot there wasn't actual hotels in a lot of these places and so like these were hourly hotels and like had the curtain to hide your car that you were there and like oh wow i mean they just would let me stay for the night but i literally fired up my camp stove inside the hotel rooms because i didn't really want to be outside doing a whole lot yeah yeah that was the the sleeping arrangements was a whole adventure in and of itself uh, yeah. So you mentioned that you did some of the trip by yourself. Like how much of that trip did you, were you just riding solo? And Ooh, once, once we got to Columbia, one of my buddies who had like picked back up with me and my other friend in Costa Rica, we went through the San Blas islands on the sailboat and he got bit by a mosquito. He was intending to ride Colombia and Ecuador with me at least. And he got bit by a mosquito, got uh, got a disease or a, a, an infection called chikungunya. Oh, yeah, uh, which, yeah, yeah. yeah, he described it feeling like an old man. And so he was basically immediately out from Cartagena. Like he yeah. he kept bussing ahead to try to like get over it because he didn't really know what he had. Right. And he wanted to keep riding with me uh, or riding together. And he never never was able to do that and so ultimately he had to kind of like recognize that he was not getting better and so i rode colombia ecuador and the portions of peru that i you know ultimately rode uh that were safe by myself yeah all right i love this man and 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 you know i happen because you and i had a conversation i don't know a week or two ago and i've you know i can't wait to to share some of the things and stories and highlights of the trip but before we even kind of dive into some of those things by the way i want to talk about the tarantula too because that just <laughs> that alone is like that sounds fun i want to dig into that a little bit for listeners I want to get to know Ryan and the kind of person that has that courage to be able to step into an adventure like this. This is a big deal. And I think a lot of people listening might be like, whoa, I could never do that. So can you kind of like take us back and, and help us uh, understand a little bit about you and how you developed this adventure spirit? And I think it starts getting homeschooled in California. Yeah, man. It's so much of it did start in California uh, where I grew up, which was very different than California as many people think of it like where I grew up was was the mountains and the hills and you know we grew up shooting guns and 
going four wheeling and fishing and hiking and just kind of doing all the things, but in a very uneducated, underprepared way, you okay. know, like generally one of us had a headlamp if we were night hiking, but like that just meant a group of people were following one person with a headlamp, <laughs> you know, and like one night we went to a mine and, or well, it was, dirt, it was daylight when we went, but then we, we came out of the mine and it was dark and we got lost because I had like the brightest headlamp, but it was like an old headlamp and it just gave this really focused beam. So we had no reference of our surroundings and just wandered in the woods for hours. We ultimately made it back to our trucks. You know, that was kind of just what we did. We had no idea. Like I said, no formal education in how to be outside. We just, we grew up in the woods. So you just are outside and you figure it out. And so I think that that really empowered me once I like actually went to school for outdoor education and like started reading books about how to layer and how to navigate and you know, wilderness medicine and all of these things, you know, it's like once I had those tools in my toolkit, it was like, oh man, like I'm a professional at being <laughs> outside at this point. Like I have, I have all these, all these things that I can, you know, kind of lean on or pull yeah. out of my toolbox. Hey everyone, it's Scott here. This podcast is a passion project for me because I absolutely love adventure. And it's thanks to the effort of my residential real estate team here in Charlotte, North Carolina, that many of you know as the W Realty Group, that this podcast gets funded. This awesome group of people have unmatched levels of competence and caring for our clients. If you know of anyone looking to buy or sell a home, our team serves the Charlotte, North Carolina market, but we can also help you find an agent anywhere throughout the US or Canada through our highly connected network. When you support our real estate business, you are also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your referrals. But what's so interesting about this is because for you, like at that young age, the experience came first. And I think you said like you guys weren't educated on what you were getting yourselves into. You just went out and did it. You weren't necessarily prepared. You just kind of had these experiences and you learned. And I think like when you're at that age, you kind of approach life as like I'm invincible and you don't you don't know what you don't know until you know. Mm, yep. <laughs> and so that's what I'm kind of hearing. Like you're just out there having fun and, and doing your thing versus like other people that are that learn like, hey, the world is dangerous. It's dangerous outside, you know, and they might be like get the learned education, but they're maybe afraid to go out and actually have the experience because they were prepared without having first having the experience. So it's like this interesting balance between like experience and the actual like preparedness learning. I'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it really is. Like I just always, my parents gave me survival books as a kid. Like I had a friend give me a survival book and like, I would just read this stuff. And like, I would go in the winter time and intentionally step into a Creek that was like a couple miles from our house to see like, okay, how bad will it get before I get home? Like I need to hike home after I like intentionally submerge like the lower portion of my legs and get my boots, my pants, everything wet. Cause you know, survival guy in the book, uh, he talks about these different things and it's like, all right, well, what, uh, you know? So I think part of it, at least very much specifically for me was kind of an, an encouraged curiosity. And with where I grew up, I mean, we were, I grew up down a dirt road, you know, like we built our house. It was a street with like five houses on it. Uh, you know, I could ride my dirt bike from my house to a hundred miles of, you know, single track and logging roads. It was a pretty great place to grow up, which I think really enabled me to experiment a lot. I used to tell students for outdoor organizations that I worked for, like, y'all, like, I'm really comfortable being in the woods, but if I go to Philly where you live, you're going to watch me behave how <laughs> you're behaving now. I grew up in the woods. That is where I'm comfortable. Yeah. You know? And so I think like the idea of like just learning about it in a book, 
I think I would probably feel like I feel if I go into a big city, you know, it's like, I'm lost. I'm, you know, like, okay, I'll just trust this person. Oh, I'm over here now. How did I get here? Well, I followed that guy because he, uh, he would give me the time of day, you know, which all were things that have happened to me uh, going to like San Francisco and stuff before Google would tell you everything you needed to know. This is a good pivot because one of the things that we talked about on the phone the other day was how you intentionally made a choice to use the outdoors as a way to improve your people skills. And I wonder if you can kind of touch on that because I think like your your conversation about like you know now maybe not being as in, as comfortable in a city as you are in wilderness like how that that all sort of plays together. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think some of using wilderness to gain comfort stemmed from the fact that I was so comfortable. And when others are either uncomfortable when I'm in a guiding situation or scenario, you know, like I'm the person that either is comfortable or needs to pretend to be comfortable. Mm. So I'm connecting with them because they're kind of thrown off balance right they're they're out of their comfort zone they aren't sure you know how to get their basic needs met and so i'm able to help them and come alongside you know encourage them to you know do x y or z to increase their comfort level whether it's just paddling in a raft or putting on an extra layer eating some food drinking some water whatever that in like the guide slash outdoor educator scenario or like that situation was a way for me to kind of push myself. But I think like with bike touring, it was a little bit of like piquing others curiosity, mm. you know, cause they're just like, Oh, like, where did you come from? Oh, well, I came from, uh, you know, here, I started up there over there, you know, wherever the tour was. And it's like, People are are so much less like hesitant to approach when you have a bicycle. It's like yeah. you physically have nothing to protect you yeah. from them. Not that they're there to like harm or be aggressive, but you're also not like, oh, shut my car door. I'm right. out of here. You know, it's like I just rolled up on my bike. I, I, I don't have my tent set up yet. I can't crawl in there it makes you approachable like that you're, mm -hmm. you're sort of vulnerable and approachable. And it was one thing that I was going to say, I mean, when I first met you, like you're a very, like you're a very likable guy, you're easy to talk to. But my sense from our first conversation was that you didn't always feel that way about yourself. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many homeschoolers you've met, but uh, <laughs> we're not always the most socially aware or comfortable people when i was going to school to be a mechanic i literally just looked at the ground at the at the community college whenever i'd walk around the campus because i'd never been around that many people it was just like so overwhelming you know and i didn't know what to do if my eyes met somebody else's eyes you know it's like uh i gotta look away you know, because all of my friends, like I didn't grow up in a bubble, but all of my friends were homeschool kids who like our parents met and then the parents decided like, oh, our kids should meet. And then they arrange a meetup at yeah. somebody's house. So it's this like very controlled environment where it's like, well, we're all in the same room. I guess, hi, how are you is the next step. But when you're on a college campus or in a large group of people that you don't know, your parents aren't orchestrating that uh, meetup. There's, right. there's a lot of unknown variables. And so, yeah, I think that after going to that junior college, I really recognized that if I wanted to leave my hometown, which I very much did, I appreciate where I got to grow up, but I also recognized how small it was. I wanted to do other things than what was offered in that small town. Yeah. So, okay. So here's, what's cool about this. Like you were in this environment where it was easy to go out and experience adventure and you got very, very comfortable in adventure, but you weren't in an environment where it was easy to meet people and practice those skills. 
And so this is where like you now take this, uh, this place where you are very comfortable and you use it as a tool to kind of overcome the thing that you're not comfortable doing. And so you have this whole progression, take us through, you have got this whole progression from becoming a raft guide and then getting into outdoor education. Like how did all that help you overcome this, this journey to become a people person? I see you as a people person now. I mean, I didn't <laughs> Yay, know you back I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I stopped being a mechanic. Like I went and I worked at a summer camp in upstate New York and I learned that you could get a job teaching backpacking or taking people backpacking. I'd never even, never heard that that was something you could do like in the small town I grew up in. People weren't doing that. They weren't talking about it. So learned that that was possible. I was like, wow, I need to do this. So I started trying to figure out how to do that and ultimately realized going back to school was how I was going to do that or gain some level of experience that larger name outdoor organizations would recognize. Went back to school and I was 21 at the time so I could drink, which helped me break out of my homeschooler shell a bit more than yeah. uh, when I was a junior in high school and going to the junior college for automotive tech. So kind of went through the outdoor program at the college and, you know, had my friends there and sort of did that whole thing the kind of capstone of the outdoor ed program was a outdoor semester and so did whole outdoor semester and a couple of my friends that I was doing that with were raft guides near Placerville on the American River and they were like Ryan you should come be a raft guide you know like I had applied to work for an outdoor organization in North Carolina and it didn't work out and so I was like, well, raft guiding, sure, I can try it. I can go to a guide school, you know, I've got absolutely nothing to lose at this point. So went, did a guide school and was looking at that as an opportunity to, like you sort of mentioned, like I'm in charge of this boat. Like I'm going to be giving river safety talks. Like I'm going to have to push myself to be comfortable or at least pretend to be comfortable in front of many, many people. Mm -hmm. And like, I also don't totally love whitewater. Like in college, I took a really bad climbing fall, wrecked my ankle and started kayaking. Uh, and one of my buddies in college as like a way to get back at me a bit, I think for taking him on hard climbs or scary climbs, decided to take me on a lot of really hard rivers mm -hmm. and creeks. And so the second time I'd ever been kayaking, we ran a class four creek, wow. uh, which was really intense and continued to have really intense experiences with that friend, which was great. We're still friends. But I think that that kind of made me afraid of whitewater. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, all right, well, I need to conquer that fear. And if I'm guiding this boat, like I can't, I can't be worried you know, about what's coming up next because all these other people are. So, yeah. So it pushed me in a few different ways. Yeah. I love this so much and how you're kind of just acknowledging these things that inside yourself that you wanted to work on and then pushing yourself to do it. So I'm curious, like how all of this sort of leads up to, and I know there's a lot more, this decision to go on this epic trip from San Francisco all the way to Peru. Help, help yeah. me bridge the gap. How does that happen? How do you decide to go on a trip like this? Ooh, yeah. Pressing the fast forward button basically went and did a bunch of outdoor ed work, did wilderness therapy, raft guided some more in Utah, and then moved to North Carolina to teach for an outdoor organization in North Carolina. Got here and then kind of left the outdoor organization to start to develop a community and of friends and such in Asheville. And as I was doing that, I started riding bikes a lot more. Always been into cycling. I'd had a, a climbing companion or partner that I traveled with for a handful of months. And he had done a tour from France to India and a lot of other tours. He'd ridden across Canada and a number of tours and had told me about all this. And so it was like, okay, great. 
bike touring, no longer doing outdoor ed, doing more bike touring. I'd done a tour down the West Coast. Then me and a buddy were doing a tour from Asheville to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And we just said, well, let's, let's ride our bikes there. And so there's a National Scenic Highway we were on for, I think, three or four days. Yeah. And we were just riding. I think we were riding like 80 to 90 miles a day. Like we were averaging really big miles. It was just kind of a strenuous, a bit of a strenuous tour. We had, you know, Mardi Gras deadline, very important, needed to get there. But when we were on the National Scenic Highway, there's no turns. So it, it was kind of boring. We both kind of recognized that. So one of the days just decided like, we're going to bring a few mushrooms along and like help one of these days to roll on by a little bit quicker. Yeah. And so, yeah, was just riding, riding along on one of those days and uh, yeah, ate the mushrooms, just was thinking about, you know, whatever getting rained on, just had this idea. I was like, oh man, I want to, I want to ride my bike from Burning Man to Bariloche, where some friends lived in Argentina, you know, and that was like kind of the, oh, uh, this is, this is a trip that I want to take. Been working as an arborist and that was really fun, uh, you know, but I, I hadn't even really intended to do that. So I kind of just felt like, okay, like I'm doing, doing something that's fun. I'm making good money. And I now kind of had this light bulb moment of like, I want to do a big tour. Uh, at the time I was not, not in a, a long-term relationship, no debt, no children, no pets, none of that. I, I need to do this now, kind of, if I want to. And so, yeah, like for the rest of that day, I just kept thinking like, is it, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And so then fast forward like a week, came back from that trip and sat my bosses down with the tree company. It was like, hey, in a year and a half, I'm going to leave and <laughs> I'm going to go on a really big bike ride. And they were, they're both outdoor, like enthusiasts, yeah. you know, like both had done bike tours and backpacking and all kinds of things like that. And they were just like, okay, cool. Like nobody's ever told us a year and a half in advance that they were going to leave and nobody's committed to work for us. And in that same way either. Yeah. So I just got to saving and started looking at maps on the computer to see how feasible it all was. First of all, Mardi Gras, great time, like lots of people go there, but who, who rides their bike from Asheville to Mardi Gras? Like that's a whole nother podcast episode right there. I mean, obviously it shows kind of the, the person that you are that like, you know, riding a bike from San Francisco to Peru, you know, it sounds like this really big thing and it is for you. And most, you know, a lot of people might say like, I could never imagine doing that, but, but you've, you kind of built up this experience of kind of doing increasingly larger and larger adventures. And this is just mm -hmm. kind of an example of that, but I'm curious, like you had this sort of idea that came to you and that idea must've stuck with you, right? Like, it's like you had that idea on that day, but then like a week later, you're back in in Nashville and you're, you know, getting ready to tell your bosses, but like, what was it that really, like, what was it inside of you that really kind of locked in on that idea that made you really, really feel like you needed to do this trip? Yeah. I think that I, I was 33 or 34 at the time. And I think yeah. that I just kind of was a little bit looking at like, all right, like probably not gonna, you know, continue adventuring in these kinds of ways forever, at least indefinitely, and or living a, a single life with no debt and no pets or anything like that. You know, I think I was also kind of realizing that like, yeah, I still loved adventure and I still do love adventure. And I also was recognizing like, man, if I like want to like settle into a career or a partnership or have pets, like whatever it is, you know, like things that were a little more grounding than the transient outdoor guide lifestyle, you know, like if I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to do this tour, like I needed to do the tour kind of sooner than later. And yeah, like I'm trying to think in my head, it just felt so clear. Like it just was, there was no, I mean, I told my buddy that I was on that tour to Mar or to New Orleans. I told him that day, like, hey, man, I'm going to do this. 
and like it stuck. I never, never questioned it. Well, so I'm curious, like in your preparations, did you feel fear? Like, as you thought about it, like, was there any fear about like, am I really going to do this? Was there any second guessing? No, not really. But also partially because I just kept telling people about it. Mm, And so I was like, a little bit trying to trap myself into it. Because of like, man, I'm just, I'm telling everybody like, I'm so excited. I, I went on a date with somebody like a couple weeks after I'd gotten back from the tour to New Orleans, I told them about it. And like, you know, like, and ultimately, we started dating and dated for a number of years. But like, I was really, really excited and was trying to make it so I couldn't back out. I love that. I mean, you're built, you're putting the accountability in. I mean, it's, you're kind of, it's like putting a stake in the ground when you tell people, I mean, that's, that's almost just as effective as like, you know, buying a plane ticket or making a reservation for something, right? It's like, you're, you're making your reservation when you tell people this is on and it's, and it's happening. Let's, let's get into the trip a little bit. I want to hear some of, some of your favorite parts of kind of what went down on that trip. Uh, In in fact, let's start with the tarantula. (laughs) Oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah. What, after I said tarantula, it reminded me of other like large uh, critters or insects. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of critters? Well, so the tarantula, which just like, there was four of us just sitting around each of our little camp stoves. And I mean, a tarantula, you know, if you're watching the video, it, it was the size of a, you know, a medium sized pancake just like came walking through our circle. And we're just all of us like stand up because none of us grew up with tarantulas. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so we're immediately freaked out. Of course it had no interest in us. It was just walking off to go find something to eat or crawl into its hole in the desert. So that was a really odd or really like surprising experience. I had a three inch long scorpion crawl under my pad that I was sitting on at dinner one night. Cause I can't imagine that I would have set my sleeping pad on top of it. Right. We finished, you know, cooking and I just lifted up my pad and this massive scorpion was underneath the pad. Of course, I screamed and uh, jumped away, uh, as, as you should when you're confronted by a scorpion, if you're not super comfortable with them, which I more so now, but definitely was very surprised. And then we saw a, a giant centipede that was probably, it was like six, eight inches long. Wow. You know, like it was really big, massive yeah. centipede, just like uh, came cruising through our camp when we were sleeping out behind a beer store in one of the towns. I think the surprise factor is part of what got me um, and what like with wildlife generally gets me is if I'm surprised by it. But I think having spent a lot of time outside growing up in Northern California, seeing a lot, a lot of rattlesnakes and just seeing that like nature's not out to get you. You may cross paths with it, but it doesn't see you and think like, I'm going to get you. It's like, Hey, we're both out here. I'm going to just try to like, let you go your way and I'm going to go mine. And we're going to ideally both have a great day. I love that philosophy so much. Cause I really, I do. I think that like myself included, I was, I did a, um, a, a couple of days in the Pisgah national forest just by myself. And it's the first time I'd ever done, I'd been done a good deal of backpacking. It was the first time I was ever out there by myself. And I did, I noticed that the first night, like I felt, I felt afraid that first night. And it was like, I had this sort of sense that the, that the critters in the forest were out to get me. And I realized the next day I'm like, no, they're not out to get me. Like we're all just here together. Like, yeah, I love that you said that. Um, and then, so what I'm sensing is, is like that fear is like that natural, like human primal response, like that amygdala response that reacts exactly the way that it's supposed to, because it is dangerous, but then your mm-hmm. rational mind kicks in and, and says, okay, we're okay. This is, this is normal. This is okay. Yeah. I, I had a really, a conversation that was, you know, impactful with somebody years ago when I was probably mid twenties, early twenties, and we just started talking about fear. And then we started talking about how, like, if you're afraid of like, what if you're spending all of that time being afraid of what if, And if what if never comes true, then you missed what was going by you or like 
what was happening in the world around you while you thought about what if instead of I'm right here. Yeah. If what if happens, we need to take care of that. But, you know, if it doesn't, I'm fully present in the moment where I'm at. Yeah, I love I love that advice. And as you and your body showed you when you saw the tarantula and when you saw the scorpion, like your body knows and it probably reacted before you haven't had a chance to think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's quick. It's quick yeah. to react. So there was wildlife, but there was more than wildlife along the way. So tell us uh, some of some of the other things that happened along the way. Getting robbed. Yeah. Um, which was to preface like ultimately no one was hurt and it didn't stop anyone's bike tour. But, you know, we were robbed at gunpoint and that was like a really shocking experience, kind of one that I don't think that we expected in that way. Like I going into it, I expected like there's a great chance we're going to be robbed in some way, shape or form. But uh, to have a pickup truck roll up next to us uh, and have guns pointed at us and then, you know, have have everything that was on our persons be taken away and then just be told to run into a cornfield was a little more than than we anticipated. Yes, that was that was a pretty pretty big experience. Uh, ultimately, the guys ran away from their truck because it broke down like a hundred yards down the road where we could see the truck and we could see them, uh, saw them walk away from the truck while we were trying to hitch a ride and we got everything back. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty shocking though, uh, to have people wearing, you know, motorcycle helmets, face masks and pointing firearms at us was a, an impactful experience to say the least. But right after that, like we told one of our friends who was, who had been touring with us what had happened and he spoke way more Spanish and like, you know, started telling people what had happened, you know, like on different Mexican like Facebook groups uh, or Mexico based Facebook groups. And we had uh, a bunch of like this mountain bike Facebook group, like, these people felt so badly that that had happened and that they like, they all felt very strongly that that was not Mexico, yeah. that that was not how they wanted to be remembered or represented for the next week until we got to Mexico city. We had people escorting us along. Uh, they would ride with us the whole day. And then somebody in the mountain biking community would put us up for the night, oftentimes feeding us, you know, we'd either sleep in their yards or sleep in their houses. And I mean, it was just, it was amazing. You know, like that was way outweighed, you know, the impact of that experience. I think that that experience definitely was not quickly forgotten. Right. Uh, you know, whether it was like at the forefront of the mind of like, being questioning of everyone. I don't think that that was quite it, but it was definitely like, like the windows on that vehicle are totally tinted out and they're slowing down. What's going to happen? You know, you had that little, Oh uh, yeah. And it never happened again. You know, like the, the closest that I came to something like that happening was in Colombia. I had a beat down old like car pull up next to me and it had like four guys in there, you know, maybe twenties in it. And like, they just rolled up really slow next to me. And I was just like, man, like I'm by myself. I think, you know, like I might be getting robbed again. This is kind of going to suck because I don't have any of my buddies with me at this point. I'm all by myself. And like one of the guys hangs out the window and just asks if I want to smoke weed. Hey man, you want to smoke some weed? <laughs> I was like, no, thank you. No, thanks. But I'm very relieved that you're not robbing me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My heart rate was, yeah. you know, at a maximum uh, yeah. thinking that I was going to need to do something or just have a bad experience. Yeah. That was, Colombia was my favorite country for sure. Like uh, I sent you a few photos and one of, one of them was of this old, older gentleman. Uh, he was 82 and he rode with me for like 50 or 60 kilometers. Okay. Like we started riding and he just kind of like uh, rode up on his bike, you know, and he was, he had like a basket rig or something on it. And he was riding to a farmer's market to sell this 
thing that he makes in his town. And he just like 82 year old dude, like rides to <laughs> the farmer's market, stays the night there, rides back the next day. And I mean, I wasn't trying to drop him, but I also wasn't going like really slow. I was yeah. just cruising along and this old dude's just hanging with me and definitely uh, pushed my Spanish uh, <laughs> trying to trying to converse with him. But he just smiled the entire time. And I was just like, wow, like this guy's doing it right. You know, like he's got this super simple life, yeah. rides his bike to a farmer's market to sell whatever thing I, you know, missed in translation, uh, you know, what he exactly he was making, but you know, like he's, he's just doing what he wants to do and really enjoying it. And it shows cause he's an 82 year old keeping up with a 34 year old or whatever. This is just like representative of like this to me, just this like expansive experience that you're having along the way. Like some of it's good, some of it's bad. Like one of the things that you shared with me uh, when we were on the phone the other day was like in this, in this building of skills and like what nature does for you, you talked about putting yourself in situations where like when you're out in nature, you know, it's not always comfortable. Part of it is like when you're out there, like sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's wet, sometimes it doesn't feel good, but it's, you know, it's taking all of it, not just taking some of it. And I wonder if you could just expound on that just for a second. Yeah, man. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the Kurt Hong quote so that I can say it accurately. But it's like, basically, once you have an experience and you see what you're capable of, you'll never settle for anything less. And so I think like that quote has been something that like has stuck with me. And just like, yeah, like, this totally sucks. Like, this is really, really hard. And I did that other hard thing, you know, a year ago, five years ago, last week, you know, whatever it is. So you're just constantly building this, whether it's armor or whether it's a mental toolbox, but you like have all these things that you yourself have done, that you yourself have gotten through, and you apply that strength or that power to totally different or similar situations. And I think that that is why for me, like I don't try to shy away from the uncomfortable or forget about it because it's like, man, like, yeah, I went for a bike ride with some friends the other week and I had bad gloves and I was like practically crying in my friend's kitchen, like trying to rewarm my hands because it was in the twenties and we were riding our bikes and it got too cold for my hands you know and it's like okay whatever i still have hands they still work you know yep that sucked but i also totally did it and i got through it and that's just another thing that it's like okay yeah hands got really cold they're getting really cold yeah it'll probably be all right and i even go back to like the the robbing right that that happened to you i mean that's like pretty traumatic experience when you look at it kind of holistically though, like there was a redemption in that, like this, the whole thing with the social media and the Facebook and the people in that area saying like, no, that's not representative of this area. And then them rallying and, you know, coming to support you. But it's almost like, it almost feels like bigger than you and your group. It be, it became about that community coming together and, and showing people like it is okay to come here. Um, I just think that's, that's so cool. And like, yes, you're in the center of that, but like, you know, there, there's totally a redemption that came out of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I think like that for me is like one reason that I have toured and continue to love touring is like, it never ceases to amaze me what people will do to like go out of their way to just be kind and engage with you in like very kind and generous ways that we don't as a culture or society, like we don't always, whether it's have the time or take the time or just we don't experience that, like maybe where we live. Yeah, it's been something that I have found like just in traveling and in adventuring that people are just so cool. 
so nice. Like I had a guy put me up in his woodshed at a campground because he wasn't allowed to let me into like a government facility because he was the camp host, but it was like freezing cold and raining on another tour. And he like, let me sit in his woodshed and put a heater in there for me. And like, (laughs) he didn't know me. I was just paying for my campsite, you know? And like just people being so, so cool and like putting, putting you up. I was riding into Medellin and like I had somebody pass me a half drinking like energy drink because they <laughs> thought I needed it like right. out of the window of their car. And I drank it because it wasn't COVID wasn't the thing. I was like, ah, yeah, <laughs> cool. Where you look pretty healthy. <laughs> I'll drink that. I love it. What was it like for you? Uh, pulling into Cusco and and coming to the end of this trip and being able to look back at what you had just done? Man, it was really nice. Uh, I think at that point, I had been, I think I'd been riding solo for two and a half months plus at that point. And I just was really tired. Mm -hmm. I was emotionally just super tired, partially because in... Ecuador and Peru, the dogs are pretty bad. So you're just getting chased by dogs. I found like towards the end of the tour, I was just looking more for dogs to be running out of people's yards than like smiling and waving back at the people that were smiling and waving at me. Mm. And so I ultimately took a bus to cut off a week of the tour to get to Cusco because I had left Lima and got chased by dogs. Never was bit. But just like they were just not not pleasant experiences. And I just was kind of like over it. I was like, man, I've gone this far. Like, I want to go rest. And so, yeah, being in Cusco is like, man, I've made it. I can just relax and enjoy the fact that I more or less got here under my own power. In a way, it was a relief because it was something that I it was a bar that I had set for myself that was totally unknown especially once I kind of left all my friends, it was like, well, it's just me. And can I do this? Will I continue to do this? You know, like riding each day by myself, like kind of just trudging along in a way, like enjoying the beautiful country and the awesome people that I met and like had so many great interactions when I was solo, but like also like in between those was, some pretty not not wholly dark but i wasn't gonna listen to sad music on my uh headphones yeah yeah like yeah it was it was a lot it was a lot of things kind of getting to the end of that tour and just being like man what did you learn about yourself through that whole experience for one i'm very determined uh (laughs) potentially bullheaded you could probably ask others that toured with me and that might be something that they would agree with in some ways, especially when I was by myself, like my, yeah, just determination to be like, yeah, this is, this is what it is. Like I'm, I'm out here, I'm doing my thing now. Like I'm not doing this with anyone else. And essentially I'm not doing it for anyone else because nobody's going to know if I just hop buses and, sure. you know, go to X, Y, or Z place. Like I'm just doing this for myself. And so I think that that was, that was a really cool thing to learn. And I think that like, I also learned like from that, that I needed to work on like my teamwork skills. Cause I came into the tour with like pretty clear cut ideas of like what I wanted. But then I found that like, I was struggling at various points, incorporating other people's ideas. I think it was, it was definitely a mixture, you know, of like pride, but also like, and all right, like I did what I wanted to do. And I, I could have done this differently or that differently or, you know, so it was, it was really cool and such a, an impactful experience in so many ways that still are emerging and, or I still spend time like thinking about. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, it's such an epic thing to do what you did in the, like, you know, six months, you know, multiple countries, multiple continents, right? I mean, 
It's epic. And I think a lot of people probably would struggle to even envision what doing something like that might be like. But I'm curious, when you think about people that are listening to your story, that are inspired, that want to step outside of their comfort zone and do something epic, like, what advice do you have for those people? (laughs) It's so challenging, like, because part of me wants to be like, yeah, like, go test all your gear in your backyard, go camp in your backyard. Like, I did that. That was something I did. I slept in a bivy sack in the snow in my backyard on Christmas Eve because I wanted to try my bivy sack out, you know, and I knew that I could just go inside if it failed. My first bike tour was only four days long, you know, like, so I started small and like, I know so many people that have done massive bike tours that have like never done a tour ever. And it's take something that like I've said, and that many of my friends that tour have said is like, like if you can make it for three to four days, like it's just a rinse and repeat cycle. Like your body is already adapting to that way of living. And so you're just, it's just time in the saddle and you're just watching the world go by and having your day-to-day experiences, but that becomes, that becomes your norm. And humans as a species, we are incredibly adaptable. Yes. And we will adapt. If you want to do it, you definitely can do it. But don't pay attention to those first doubts, those first concerns, you know, like, yes, doubts and concerns are important, but don't let those rule you. I love your enthusiasm and your energy that you bring to this. It's, it's, it's clearly passion. And here's the thing, like, this adventure from San Francisco to Peru and the energy that you brought to it and all that happened along the way, Hollywood's going to pick up on this thing. And <laughs> at some point, they're going to make a movie about this story. And I want to know when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in this movie? Hollywood doesn't really portray uh, anybody who sits on their bicycle saddle for a really long time, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think you know, it's, uh, it's often focused on muscles and action and all of these things that oftentimes don't necessarily feel wholly achievable (laughs) or attainable. So yeah, it's such a hard question. Maybe the, maybe the guy that played Christopher McCandless in that, uh, in that end of the wild movie or something like that. Don't know that actor's name, but, uh, yeah, somebody that just, they're not, they're not out there flexing in their oiled swimsuit ad. I don't know, man. I don't know if you're giving yourself enough credit, but, uh, but I love <laughs> it. We'll, we'll go with that guy. And uh, what's your movie going to be called? A Long Way Down or something since I just went down south. A Long Way Down. I love it. Very, very long way. And I hope that they make sure that they, the, the tarantula piece like is part of the story. I think I like, Oh, it has to be visual for me. And that to be, don't, don't CGI that you gotta (laughs) really scare people. I love it. Ryan, man, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. This has been so much fun. Um, I really appreciate it. And for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Ryan's story has encouraged you to listen to the voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you just help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Scott.